Dial H for Heroclix is brought to you by CoolStuffInc.com, where you can find cool stuff in stock every day, including all of the latest Heroclix singles and sealed products. So check them out at CoolStuffInc.com. Welcome back to Dial H for Heroclix. This is a Dial H for Heroclix production, an extra that we like to throw out to you guys every once in a while. Joining me in the studio today is my sexy ranch hand co-host, Calder Ness. What's going on, Calder? Howdy, howdy. Let's get rowdy. And someone very special that has been so gracious and come onto the podcast, a man known as Jake Williams, but more commonly known in the Heroclix community as the former golden and only golden age world champion, Jeetery. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, man. Yeah, you're welcome, man. An all-time golden uh, age world champion for Heroclix, right? <laughs> you are kind of a big deal in the Heroclix realm. Uh, people know you. Uh, so there are a lot of new players that have been brought into the game, newer listeners. So uh, we do want to start off with a lot of get-to-know-you questions just so they know who you are. But there are a lot of people out there that have been playing Hero Clicks for just about as long as uh, I have. And I know you started in about, what, 2005? Yeah, I was uh, down at San Diego Comic-Con, actually, because I was used to collect. There was the Palisades toys used to make these like really cool Muppet figures that I was just like, in love with and they would do like exclusives like san diego comic-con wizard worlds and that and so we actually talked my friends into driving down to san diego comic-con um while i was down there was like oh if you collect toys you got to get this galactus and so i put my little uh like little uh name in the little drawing thing got drawn out to win a galactus and when i got it home because it was such a big box i got a home open i'm like oh it's a game and then i started looking into it from there Okay, so you started in 2005, so about how long did you play? You don't currently play, correct? No, I stopped at like 2014-ish, 2015, I think. Um, I mean, I played two years ago. I played in Worlds. Uh, I didn't touch clicks again until the year before that I played in Worlds, and those weren't really like trying to make a run out of it. It was just more I was at Origins for uh, other reasons and thought I'd jump in and play a little bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so what was your local like, store? When you first started playing? Uh, there was a place called Game Den, actually. So the first time I actually played a uh, place, I was trying to think, actually, that was um, the Black Rose. There was a little place on Murray. I looked on the WizKids thing, went to a tournament. There was three people there, a brother, um, or two brothers, me, and, uh, yeah, the first time I ever played was a nightmare. I got my ass kicked the first guy. The first guy, because I, I, I thought I'd build a decent team, and the first guy uh, overbuilt by 200 points, had a couple of hypersonic speed characters that just destroyed me. Um, and then found out after the game he was 200 points over on his build, so I won by default. Had to play his brother. <laughs> yeah, I had to play 200 his... points over on your build. On that's... like a 400 point team, right? So that's that, six... that's oh my bl- gosh! Blatant cheating. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I got beat so bad. It wasn't fun. I don't think I rolled dice that time. Then the second guy I didn't get to roll dice again. He was playing like Ultimate Thor that had the 10 range, five damage with TK and Outwits and seeing through stealth with Ultimate and game is over in like seven minutes i'm like i'm never playing this game again and it's funny i got all my i told my girlfriend about it at the time and i'm like this game sucks and she's like she's part of the same she's like don't let those nerds kick your ass go back and beat them and so i literally jumped online i all i could i read everything i could and then i went back actually out the next week and i took first place in the tournament so and it only took you a week to prepare and become a world champion no, it's just not, <laughs> at least mostly, right? But in all fairness, only four people showed up to the the next tournament. It's not like I was beating tons of people, so I won two games. Really impressive, man! I like it. When I left you, I was the learner, and now I'm the master. I can do it. You know, I've uh, 
I've gone on and off where I played clicks over the years. I've taken like year breaks over here and then. This is the longest break I've taken, but I, I remember before uh, Mutations of Monsters come out, I hadn't played in like a year, about a little over a year. My friend's like, uh, hey, you should come out and check out, uh, come out and play. We're going to do this, uh, you know, this pre release. And so I drove up to play in the pre release and I had no idea what I was doing. I, w- I was really new to the carded figures and I still won that tournament and walked out. So I've always done pretty well at the game for the most part from like a fundamental. I had some people that were pretty pissed off at me, like, you don't even play and you show up and win. <laughs> okay, so a second ago you actually mentioned one of my favorite hero clicks of all time, Ultimate Thor, uh, since I've been playing that long as well. Um, I do want to ask, what is your favorite hero clicks, your hero clicks' favorite teams or pieces you've ever gotten to run? Um, I mean, I have to say uh, Flash Harley, right? That's my favorite piece in the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd say before that, though, um, when I got started to play, when I, when I started playing, the very first set that I bought, it didn't come with the, because uh, back then they used to do the Uniques, right? But I bought a REV set of Legacy, and I think Legacy was my favorite set. I, I, there were so many good figures in that. But Legacy Ares, when I finally got that one, that was one of my favorites. Legacy Flash, you know, Casey Flash was fun. Um the the veteran Batman I had a lot of fun with. Um, you know, there's just there was a lot of pieces back then. That was probably one of my favorite sets and my favorite characters. Um, but besides that, though, I mean, there's been so many pieces over the years I've played them. I was a huge Shatterstar fan. There was a lot of fun stuff I came up with. So, what are some of your least favorite hero clicks to play against or even use, and why? God, that's. Um, you know, back I remember when Lamp was a big thing, right? I used Ugh. to I used to hate that damn Joker. <laughs> uh, that was just it wasn't fun to play against, you know. But that's also what kind of seeded the ideas of how to build teams without rolling dice, right? Um, you know, I think the thing that I've had a hard time with with a lot of the uh, the characters with the game is you, you've seen so many like good characters out there, but sometimes I feel like they'll just make like a Wolverine. Um, you know, they'll just, they were just making a Spider-Man, just throw one into the set, and you got so many bad versions of characters. I used to hate that kind of stuff where it's like, yes, I'm playing a Spider-Man that does everything that every other Spider-Man does, only worse at it. You know, I used to hate figures like that, um, and we've seen a lot of bad figures over the years. I don't know if it's changed in the last couple of years, but I know for a long time there we didn't really have a good Spider-Man that was even that fun to play, you know? True. Oh, I can't wait to tell you about these wonderful sets called What If and uh, Elsewhere. <laughs> no. Good but, or um, bad? Oh, so, so bad. Really um, bad. bad. But uh, that's that's a different story for a different day. You know, I did see uh, that they actually have a Harley Quinn now with, like, hypersonic speed. They made Batmans with Pulse Wave and Running Shot. It's like, really? You know, you just yeah, scratch your yeah. head. You're like, just doesn't seem right, you know? Yeah, it's almost like power creep as a thing in this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, something that if anyone out there is not familiar with you, uh, you, as mentioned previously just a couple minutes ago, you are a world champion in, in the game of Heroclix, and you started living that, like, super ultra-competitive Heroclix lifestyle, basically. That's all the only thing so- been able to uh, boil that down to. So I just I want to know what that's like. What you can tell us about how you prepared for that and uh, where where you ended up mentally. Let me uh, kind of back up a little bit, kind of explain how I got to that point. So I'd played on and off for years. Um, my background is I was a concert promoter and a club DJ. I used to make my living just DJing in the clubs, um, and it was fun because I could play. You know, uh, you know, Friday nights I you know like a live radio show and stuff. You know, like eight hundred thousand person club nights, just DJing dance music. Uh, and then Saturdays, I would go to the comic book shops, and, you know, so I kind of got the best of both worlds. 
um, about 2012-ish or so, I I, had, um, I was doing pretty well with shows, but the burnout was real. So I literally just decided, I'm like, you know what, I've got enough money in the bank to take like a year or two off. I'm just going to do that and just find a new hobby. And then I started playing Heroclix full time. I went out to Gen Con uh, 2012. Like, I didn't know anybody. Uh, I couldn't find any friends because, I mean, I live in Salt Lake. That's a hell of a drive, you know, and a pretty big financial commitment to fly out. So I actually just found someone on the uh, Gen Con forums that said they had an extra bed in their hotel room. So I was like, please don't murder me. But I went out. I had fun. I played for <laughs> four days. And it's funny. The first two days, I got the crap kicked out of me. It was bad. Um, it just I wasn't having fun. I was just getting beat, you know, because I was like I, almost like psyching myself out. And then about halfway through the second day, I remember thinking, I can play with these guys. And it's literally once the switch flipped, I started doing okay. I, I missed finals that year because they used to do finals a little bit different. I missed finals that year. I was two spots. I was They took the top 16 and I was uh, – or top 15 because they had last year's champ. Uh, and I think I was 18th or so. So I got close um, just playing a White Lantern Sinestro team. That was one of my favorite figures too, that White Lantern Sinestro. Um, you know, and so – but when I came back, though, I remember watching the finals. I remember watching the game and I was like, man, that should have been me. I wanted to be in there, you know. Um, so when I came back to Salt Lake, I really – somebody started traveling down. I drove down to Majestics, you know, after that and played in a tournament down there. I met Pat and those guys. Um, you know, I, but I literally just started playing like four days a week because I had a lot of time because I was semi-retired. I mean, retired is the wrong word, just taking time off. Uh, so I was playing like Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. And then in the meantime, uh, I was, I, every time I tried to set up figures to, uh, you know, or teams to play against what I thought I was going to see, I would never play against that team. So I started going into more of a memorizing dials. I had almost every dial memorized. I tried to play every piece, piece at least once locally so I knew what the figure did strengths weaknesses i tried to memorize most of the maps you know um a lot of basics like a lot of you know staying out of line of sight stuff like that i really tried to push my game that way um it was a lot of work i put a lot of time into it but that's kind of how i got to the point though where i could start playing um because i was able to do that financially which made a huge difference it's not like i was rich or anything i mean i was still really budget conscious but i was able to do that um, and then when 2013 came around, like I said, I'd, I was play, you know, putting so much time. I was probably putting about 60, 70 hours a week into it. Um, and then as I, you know, went in and actually uh, did well, I actually was hoping to win modern. It's funny how things worked out that, uh, you know, I was going with the chance to win modern because I built my um, my golden age team. I thought it was good. Um, didn't think it was good as my modern team. But then, I mean, I went 11 and 0 when I played that team at Worlds. I mean, I think I lost like 11 games. I lost like 600 points, 500 points, or something like that. Out of a possible like 3,300, I could have lost. So, team was solid. It was really good. Very nice, very nice. And so, with that team, yeah, obviously all kinds of practice before you hit worlds that day, or um, it wasn't as much that I'd practice it. Like I said, I didn't practice against other teams. What I would do is like get a map out. Like if you ever see me play test, I would get a map out, um, try to figure out like where I was going to go. The nice part of it was playing like a because it was all a uh, PD team. Uh, police department team, I think I had like, I don't know, plus a nine or something like that on map roll or something stupid like that. So I knew I was going to pretty much always have map. Um, but I was also able to, um, you know, count out squares. And, and the way that that cop car team worked out, for those who don't know, it was uh, three of the Gotham City cruisers before they changed them where they would do uh, penetrating damage or unavoidable damage. Some people would say that you are the reason they made that change to the cop cars, um, that, that errata. You know, I can think of four watch list changes because of me specifically. I think the only person that's, I think the only person that's beat me on watch list changes is Pat, actually. <laughs> Very nice. Um, but yeah, it was that was the but that was the trick though, right? It was uh, the team was just was stupid good, and that and that's when team bases were all the rage. But 
Uh, I figured out because they all had a perplex on them that once you got a hold of one of the team bases, you perplex down their damage. You're like, go ahead and working together and do one or two damage each. You know, I've got 11 clicks on three clop cars to go through. So it was it was a fun team. Um, I wouldn't say as much that I put as much into my modern team that year, but I had really weird luck with the modern. It's I don't know. I don't know what you call it, like spooky or mystical or whatever else it is. But um, uh-huh. it's funny because uh, I don't know if you've heard the story, but. I thought I went into play in the modern. I went um, three and one the first day in qualifying. You know, you had to go four and zero to make the final cut. Went to go to the second day to qualify for modern. I changed my team, and uh, one of my pieces went missing. Uh, literally, as we went down to sit down at the table, like one of my pieces went missing. I got DQ'd from the second day because I couldn't find my figure that was supposed to be on my team um, right before the match started. It's like it. So I got DQ, didn't get a play, but then it worked out with Golden Age. It's I don't know how it works. Life works that way. It just does, you know. Crazy. Do you remember what the piece was? The the lost? twenty the twenty five point back girl, the one that had the, the two starting clicks with the outwit on it. It was the twenty five point back girl, where she turned into Oracle basically. Gotcha. Uh, what would you want any new player who wants to kind of enter the meta or competitive scene in Hero Clicks to know if they are just starting out? So advice to them. You know, the so I have a friend that went out with me, John Rendon. Um, he, we, we took second in Worlds, uh, Team Worlds, the first year they did it. I thought we'd have the, the damn thing won. Um, we, we missed by one dice roll uh, the year Pat won the two championships. Um, you know, and the thing is that he used to watch me play, and as he played, he, he was – and I don't want to sound like a – there's a lot of decent local players in Utah, but he was the only person that when I would beat him – he wouldn't sit and bitch about his dice. He wouldn't sit and bitch about me because, like, at one point, I think I was winning, like, 90% of my games, roughly, and I was just really playing, like, random figures to figure out what they did, you know? Um, but when I would beat him, he wouldn't sit and bitch about his dice. He wouldn't sit and complain about the cheap team. He wouldn't do any of that. He would just say, well, why did you do this? Why did you go there? Why did you try that? You know what I mean? Like, he was trying to learn from me how to play. And for any new players, you know, I, I've seen guys run to the middle of the map, um, you know, their opponent needs to roll a six, you know, with super senses. And then they, you know, they, their opponent hits, their dice misses. And, oh, my dice suck. I just lost this whole game. I can't believe that happened type of shit, you know. Oh, sorry, stuff. Sorry to mean to swear. <laughs> That's um, but you know what I mean? Like, you would, you would see that. And for newer players, if you really want to get good at something, don't look for excuses. Look for ways to get better. And it got to the point, though, where when I started playing John, he was good. Like, he was to the point where we were we were almost 50-50 roughly were playing games. Um, because he had learned, he had looked at it. He didn't look for reasons, you know, he didn't sit and bitch about losing. It was more like, okay, you did that. So next time I'm going to do this. And so if you're a new player looking at the game, it's real easy to get caught up in the, well, you only won because you played that one character, maybe, but what else could you have done different? What else could you have changed? You know, and I think that's the biggest thing for new players is try to find out like if someone's better than you, don't get upset that you're playing them. What can you learn from them and and ask questions after? Totally. I can do it. There's a lot of, uh, especially in the competitive scene, there's a lot of mental strain while playing the game, just like there are other uh, games out there. And so just wondering, how was it that you dealt with that personally? You know, I um, you know, I used to have Gen Con. Worlds was always at Gen Con. It was always uh, Steak and Shakes after, right? Walk down to the 24 nice. for Steak and Shake and uh. eat. Because uh, they were open, you know, like at 12 in the morning. No, I mean, as far as like the, the mental part of it, the, the hard part is that you get to a certain level. There's, I don't know if you guys watch like the, the fighting game stuff any, at all, the FGC community. There was a guy out there named Daigo. Uh, he went by the Beast, and, and he's like a multiple world champion at Street Fighter. 
And he, he, I was reading this article he wrote one time, and he was talking about it's one mindset to try to get on top. It's a completely another mindset to try to stay on top because you really have nothing to lose as you're trying to climb. But once you hit that point, it's really hard because then everyone starts gunning for you. You know, I, I realized that stuff had changed. It was after I'd won um, Worlds that year, and then I'd gone out and won. You know, I, I took third at, at uh, um, the RO, you know, the Rock Tournament, whatever, and was placing high. And it was uh, Nationals the next year at Origins, 2014. And I remember someone posting that some I can't remember who won that year Nationals. And then someone posted the uh, someone posted like the team build, and, like the second the second and fourth posts on that post were like, well, what did Jeter play? Like it didn't matter that you know what I mean it didn't matter that someone had won. They wanted to know what I played. And I'd realized at that point like I'd kind of crossed over a little bit more. It was just. And I think that's what it was that post that started putting more and more stress. Like, well, how do you find different teams? How do you continually innovate? How do you continue to find things? Um, I just spent a lot of time, like, in the, you know, a lot of what ifs. Well, could we get this to work? What about that? Would this work, you know? Um, probably one of my favorite teams that I came up with, just at least unique, was the double Shatterstar team with a uh, black talent that could double mind control and hit you in your starting zone, right? Mm-hmm. Um I had to play. I had to play against that team seven times in major tournaments, and every time I would sit down and ask the person, "How'd you come up with this team?" Oh, uh, we we were sitting around. We we thought it was good. You know, they'd kind of like, I'm like, well, that's funny. It's like I I played that at nationals. You know, I came up with that team. You know, um, but it was funny to see like people following and net decking and stuff that you'd come up with. I always thought that was that was a really interesting thing to see in the game. Um, but, you know, you also get that pressure, too, though, because you don't want to doof it. You know, you don't want to be like, oh, he only played this or, oh, you, you crapped out on this tournament, you know. So that is actually that is something actually that has come that, up uh, recently on the podcast. We've been talking about how um, people should probably try to be a little bit more creative so that the meta does not become very stale. You don't see a lot of the exact same teams over and over again. So uh, – if you could give people advice as far as the creation of teams so they're not net decking, is there any advice that you would have for that? You know, I um, one of the other teams I came up with, I really liked, I don't know if you ever saw it, it was the Bizarro with eight tokens on it, and then it was the um, it was Headpool with the White Lantern on it. And every time Bizarro would take and then we put the I put the um, the pink uh, battery on it, so every time you did one damage to Bizarro or Headpool, you took one Mystic's damage. Mystic. Yes. And then Bizarro would just heal you back, or I mean, Headpool would just heal Bizarro back up. Uh, every time you did damage, it was just, okay, get the damage right back. And you weren't going to go through eight tokens, or you still had to hit Headpool three times. Um, the de- the team didn't look like anything on paper. It looked like absolute garbage when I tried to show a friend that. I was like, this thing sucks. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I don't think I ever, I, or I lost one game with that team. Uh, in all the times I played it, I lost one game with it. Because uh, it was just that good, you know? Um, and it was only at, at Pat, I lost it when the ROC because he was able to, uh, I can't remember which figure it was that could steal your ring at the first of the game because he hit his roll and stole my ring and that's what hurt me. But, uh, Lydia uh, Malore, I believe. Lydia Malore, that's Malore. right. He was able to take my ring and that, that hosed me that one. But when I came up with that team though, it's not like it, it, it was more like looking at the, okay, so this is what we have back to that studying the dials. Um, you know, every now and then you'll see, I remember like thinking about head pull and stuff. Everyone wrote it off. I don't think anyone's ever played head pull competitively. Um, but it was like looking, well, okay, so you've got to stop, you've got stop clicks here. You've got stop clicks here. What can we do with that? And I used to like to play the what if game a lot. You know, when I came up with a cop car idea, it was just like a, what if, what if three of these cop cars, um, what if you ran a couple of them to go? And I played in a local tournament actually. Uh, and I went about and I just cleaned up with everybody. It was the only time I'd ever played in a tournament until I went to worlds. Um, 
and I remember posting on Realms and like the, the tactics, and nobody knew who I was at the time, and I just got lit into it. There was like four pages of people telling me how garbage it was. It was a <laughs> shitty team. Nobody would ever play that thing. That thing will never win. Um, I mean, I just got lit up in that thing, you know, because it was something that people hadn't seen before. I think the hardest part is that nobody likes to lose. I mean, even the guys that say, oh, I, I do this for fun. You don't want to sit down and not roll your dice and, and not make, you know, not wait, hit one attack roll. That's not fun. But the thing, though, is with that, and, and we see this in all different types of things, not just in Heroclix, but because of, uh, you know, social media and the Internet, everyone's connected. So if someone sees someone else win on a th- uh, win with something, uh, they then want to take that and they want to uh, – you know, they want to make it their own. You know what I mean? Or, or they'll take right. it and they, hey, this is now my idea. And they show up at their local tournaments and, you know, the same thing. Net decking is worse than it's ever been, I think, because of social media, the Facebook and that. Um, and I guess that makes it really hard trying to come up with creative teams because there's some really solid teams that, that we used to see. And from what I've been told, it's even worse now with the, the dollar amounts that people have to put out. Um, but don't be scared to try things, though, because literally some of the teams that I won with, people told me they were garbage and would never work, you know. It was just finding something a little bit different in a way that, uh, you know, and playing a little bit different. I think when cop cars and stuff came out, nobody thought you could just keep running people over and over and not take actions. But I figured out a way to make it work, you know. With Bizarro only doing three damage, you know, uh, all the way through, nobody thought that figure was any good. They thought it was just a filler at 25 points. Right, exactly. I can I totally see where you come from there. Uh, you mentioned a little bit how people can get a little heated in this game, even though it is just a game. And I'm not saying here, of course, it's like magic, how some people rage like crazy but have you encountered someone like just completely walk away from a game or like rage oh, quit halfway through or it was the nationals where i played the double shatter star team and i had the um oh, what is the little like uh the small figure that could attach to you that had a 20 uh oh despo Des- yeah despotelis then i had the entity on it which gave everyone defend and then i was putting the uh smoke cloud under the other team as i would port across the map so they all had minus one to their attack and then i had like a 22 defense up close with the shatter tars with, clo- uh, oh. with combat reflexes and the, and I come across the map I do my thing I hit a couple of my rolls and then the guy goes to attack me and as the guy goes to attack me he's like you need to roll an 11 he's like no I perplexed up my attack I'm like I know you need to roll an 11 instead of 22 and he's like what uh. he goes well I'm going to attack that one they go you need to roll an 11 and you see this look on this face and the guy gets pissed right and he tries his roll, and he rolls like a seven. Probs it rolls like a six or something, and then probs it the third time and hits a crit miss, right? Oh. And he stands up and f you, f whiz kids, f this game. He throws his dice, right? <laughs> and they let him play the next damn round. He was he was in the next oh, round, geez. even though the judges watched him with his rage quit. They still let him continue the tournament. So yeah, I mean, I used to get people pretty heated that time. Uh, if you watch the uh, the match online, I think it's still online where you know where I beat George Masu. He got pretty upset because he didn't realize that the cop cars, you know, uh, could do a certain thing that they did. I mean, nobody likes to lose, man. I mean, I've been in the same boat before. We get... see the thing when I used to play is I didn't mind getting beat. If I got outplayed, that was fine. But if I got caught with like some combo or something I didn't see coming, that's when I would get pissed off at myself because I felt like I I hadn't prepared enough, you know. If there was ever like that one little trick that came out that you know that I didn't see coming, that used to really frustrate me. Sure, it sounds like you're holding yourself to a higher standard. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Is there ever a figure that no matter how hard you tried, you just could not make it a valid meta option? Harley, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> First time I played Harley, uh, my Harley figure, and the only time I ever played her competitively because I was stopping after you know right around the time she came out. 
um, was at Majestic's tournament, and I rolled uh, seven crit misses in five rounds with her. It was just Ooh. just the worst luck. I it, it was just it happens, you know. Um, but no, I mean there was there was some stuff that I tried. Um, you know, I, I tried the the Green Ant Green Lantern entity quite a bit. I could never quite find stuff that could work with it, even though I loved the figure. Um, you know, the thing I think that, that's hard, though, too, with Heroclix is because, I mean, and I don't play I don't play Magic. I don't have any other games to base it, you know, any other uh, collectible games to base it on. But you see a lot of biases in this game, too, where, you know, there's a guy locally that just loves Wonder Woman. No matter what, he's always going to play a Wonder Woman, and she's been such a hit-or-miss character. But I can't think of any super meta-y Wonder Womans that have ever come out, you know, where everyone's like, holy crap, that's a that's a great figure. It wins all the time. But then he would get upset every time he would play someone that wasn't playing their favorite character. And I think a lot of people in Heroclix, because of the comic aspect, there's a lot of biases. You know, I know a lot of people had luck with um, with the Ghost Rider, the double base Ghost Rider, oh, when, yep. uh, when that one won. But I never seemed to have luck with that figure. No matter what I tried, it just never worked out for me. So, I mean, it's hit or miss, right? Everybody has their uh, their strengths, I guess. You, you talked about how you would play different teams. You would play these at competitive and local events just to get a feel for how those figures would work. How often were you playing hero clicks in order to prepare for worlds like a couple days a week or uh, almost would, all the time? I would play Tuesdays at uh Tuesdays at game den. Uh, Wednesdays I would play at Hastur's. These are all local stores. Thursdays I would play at game night. Saturdays I would play at Dr. Volts. Yeah. So when I was able to play like, you know, 15 to 20 figures a week, roughly just different things. Um, and that was the goal, right? Was always play every figure at least once because it's one thing to sit and read the dial online. It's another thing if you're actually clicking it and filling it and moving it around to remember what it did also. I, I had a little bit memory that uh, a little bit better memory that way on some stuff. Um, but it was nice, though, because once you got to the, like a lot of the dials and stuff memorized, it was really great because, okay, I need to hit this one for four. Then he's stuck on this click. Then he hit him for two more. It finishes it off. You knew exactly where you needed to be, you know, because with the way the dials, the old dial designs, when, when we started years ago, I mean, if a figure got hit, they got worse, everyone except for Hulk, you know. Um, right. Go from 10 attacks to seven attacks. So you just kept hitting them and hitting them until they were done. There's so many new surprises in the way that they design the figures now because the dials are better all the way through that – there's some clicks you hit them to and you're like, well, that was a mistake, you know? <laughs> totally. Absolutely true. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, I, I found able to try to play everything too, though, and try to make stuff work. Because, yeah, there was a lot of garbage out there, but you were also able to kind of open up your idea to other combos and stuff, stuff you might not have seen otherwise because you weren't always just looking for what's the biggest stick, you know, and how you can beat people. Okay, so let's actually jump into a little bit of the specifics, and I do want to say this now. I should have probably said this at the beginning of the episode, but the reason why we're talking now is because something pretty crazy happened in the in, in your little world, I guess, in that your NDA actually expired. Is that correct? You know, the NDA actually expired a while ago, but I've been so busy with Gaming Con um, you know, I, I talked to WizKids about it, one of the people at WizKids. I'm not going to say who it was, one of the employees. They signed off on the one paragraph that did talk about the dial design and that because I still want to keep a good relationship with them. Absolutely. And it's something that I did want to talk about because the one thing I get asked, you know, I used to get asked all the time, and I don't think any other uh, champs have come and talked about things at all, you know. They've kept it pretty quiet. I, I mean, does Dan Joins even play anymore? Have you guys seen him around? Morin, is that was that his name? I have not seen that name floating around in any like team sheets or builds from any tournaments I've seen recently. Anyways. Yeah, and I, I've heard I've heard Pat slowed down a little bit too, and you know uh, from what he was playing, I don't know how you know I saw Howard won this last year. 
Um, but you're not seeing, you know, I think George Masu is the only one that's still been going, you know, strong and showing up all the time over the years. But even George hasn't said, you know, no one else has really come out and talked about it at all. So there's two things real quick. One, in case you are not aware out there in podcast land, listener, NDA stands for non-disclosure agreement. And it is just an obligation, a legal obligation that you will not talk about anything that whoever you are signing the NDA with does not want you to talk about. So mm -hmm. uh, you now are released from this legal obligation, and you can talk about some of these things. That's one. Two, uh, if you are saying, and I believe this to be true, I don't know of anybody else that has come out and worked through some of this process before. No one's ever come out and talked about it before. So this means this is a Dial H exclusive, just pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> But um, uh, let's let's get into a little bit more specifics about why you had to sign this, and that's because you won Worlds. Um, and let's start off with what was your team? So um, I went with three Gotham City cop car cruisers at the time, um, and then I had uh, two of the uh, GCPD. That was just the name of them because there was, I think, one of the powers that they had GCPD in the name or something else to get extra powers. I can't remember something like that. Um, they'd have police, golf, whatever the keywords. Um, and then I went with uh, Talia from like, I can't remember what it said. She was from Batman something, the basic starter set that never really went anywhere. Um, there was a Talia. There was a little sure shot, which was probably one of my favorite figures on the team. And then I think I had like an eight point medic or something just for the last points of filler. And then the, uh, I'm trying to think it was five years ago, uh, the GCPD ATA, which is what really made the team work. So uh, the team basically worked – I mean, I probably rolled dice six times in all 11 games, maybe eight times all 11 games. I just – I build a team basically because the thing is like, I mean, Heroclix is percentages, right? And something I've always looked at is if you can – you know, the dice are 65% in your favor most of the time, odds are you're eventually going to come out ahead if you play long enough, right? Uh, sometimes stuff happens, but if you can eliminate the dice from the game uh, – you, you take out that luck factor, and there's nothing worse than, hey, if I hit this one roll, I win the game, and then you miss the roll, you lose the game. That's always a terrible feeling, you know, especially if you didn't, if you outplay him the whole time, but you missed that roll. Um, at the time, there was a lot of team bases. I mean, that was when team bases just came out, and then the Trinity of Sin team base came out, where you hit, do any damage to him at all, you got to take double, uh, you know, double Mystics damage, and um, there was a lot of those teams, <clears throat> but I think every team I played was a team base. I didn't play. I played one other team that had one cop car on it, I think, or maybe two cop cars, and I had the third one. Um, but the way that it worked, though, basically, was the GCPD ATA allowed you to move up to four squares uh, if you didn't have an action token on you. Because they considered it a, a, uh, a replacement value, you could perplex it up to a six, because each one of the Gotham City cars had perplex. You could perplex it up to a six. Uh, so you could get actually up to 16 squares. It also had a power on it that if you entered one of the squares that the that the other figure team base whatever was in, you could then they would take one unavoidable damage uh, or one penetrating damage. I think one penetrate. I can't remember which one it was, but they would take one damage and then you could place them up to four squares away. So what you would do then basically is it was you would just kind of slowly turtle across the map a little bit until that team base came out. Uh, and you had a 16 range, you know, the cop car stick out four, so you're what, 20 range roughly on the map, 14 range, something like oh. that on the map though. It was, it was insane. They moved a little bit. I knew it back to counting the maps, you know, knowing the squares where I was at. Uh, once I got a hold of the team base, I could literally then just move into them three times. And if I moved into them three times, 
you know, every turn I could move into them three times. Each time they're taking one penetrating damage. They've got to clear. I'm still running them over. And then once you cleared again, you never had to take an action again because you would just use the GCPD ATA. And the GCPD ATA, or I mean, the cop cards also had a power that said that if uh, they were adjacent to it and the pilot had such and such in it, uh, you couldn't phase away. You couldn't get away. Even if you avoided characters, you still were su- – I think it was like cuffed to the bumper. So once you caught them over, you were like free action GCPD ATA move in, free action GCPD ATAs, you know, all three cop cards and go past your turn. And it was uh, pretty broken. <laughs> I, I would absolutely have to agree with that. In, in fact, in in one point, one of the designers actually was sitting next to the, the judge, uh, one of the, the game designers, and he goes, wait, is that how that works? It hadn't even <laughs> dawned on them that that was how you could – I mean, and that was the first time I ever broke the game, right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, WizKids. I, so reliable. All right. So you ran three cop cars. They were only available in, like, super boosters and stuff. I think it was the Batman set, right? Right, yeah, the Batman. Was it Streets of Gotham that had super? I don't remember. Man. No, they had the they had the motorcycles. It was the motorcycles. Yeah, it was the they were it was cop cars. You get like a, a the bug, the the Batwing, the Batmobile. Right, right. So I remember when the cop cars came out. I was like, oh, those things suck. <laughs> it did. They they totally underappreciated them at the time. But doing that, trying to get three of them, how expensive? If you remember, how much did it oh, cost? Oh no, nobody nobody wanted them. Um, <laughs> I think I paid like two bucks for the two GCPD guys I had I needed, you know, for the team because they had the keywords. They were only 20 points for pilots. The Talia Al Ghul, she was great because at the time, I don't know if they changed the rules, but they had a rule that you could as- the vehicle could assume the stats of the pilot inside. And then you had to give the pilot one unavoidable damage at the first year next turn. So I actually had a trick where I would uh, and that's the only time I ever really rolled the dice uh, or most of the times rolled the dice where I would have the cop car assume the uh, stats of Talia. Uh, so she has to take one unavoidable damage at the first and next turn, and I would only do that when I was based to like a team base or something that had two tokens on it, and then she would uh, pop out of the car as a free action. They have to clear next turn because they've got the two action tokens, right? Uh, Talia now goes to like a, a, ten, a, a 10 attack uh, flurry blades roll, and I've got uh, three perplexes like right there next to me. So you're able to like perplex her up to a 12 attack flurries blades. I mean, it was... It was stupid. I think the one the one thing she, time she did like eight damage or nine damage or something like that with rolls, and I could pop her back into the cop car. Um, it was just it was a stupid good team. But I think I paid, paid six bucks for her little sure shot because he was an LE. I think I paid eight bucks before he was from Cosmic Justice because um, he was like a ten. It was like a fifteen or eighteen point character that had like a ten range, two attack, ten or ten attack, two damage type thing. You could perplex up and also use the GCPD ATA if you. I mean, uh, or not GCPD the the police. Uh, team ability if you needed to it was it was a solid team though but i'd say the whole team probably cost me less than 50 bucks <laughs> nice so um a couple of episodes ago we put a community question as we do out on uh, twitter and facebook asking if the game of hero clicks has become a pay to win game and uh the most recent uh, origins because calder and i both attended origins this year and the nationals team that won was how much did you say that was calder it was about one thousand dollars at the time of the build wow. it's probably gone up now too huh May, maybe, uh, wolverine uh, id card alone yeah it's made it uh, go it's, up it's like then, 90 something yeah. dollars by itself but um anyway i just wanted to point i wanted to put that question 
forth to you because I, I just wanted the listener to know how ridiculous the game has become as far as paying into it from when you were playing and when you were winning Worlds. You know, so, I had I had a conversation with one of the WizKids employees. At one point, they'd pulled me aside because we, well, you know, um, me and then there was also Adam Friedman, which was like the national champ a couple years ago. He was also my Team Worlds partner that first year. Um, we were breaking the game like pretty routinely with just random stuff, ideas, combos we were coming up with. And they pulled me aside and asked if I wanted to be a special play tester for them. Uh, the problem is in doing that, they were going to ask me. I mean, I couldn't compete anymore. And they just kind of wanted me to not compete, not play. I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's not fun for me, you know. But in there, we, when I was talking to that person, they said they were changing the formula. They were trying to go to more combos uh, and more of like a rarity type scheme where the, the figures that did more we're going to be in the more exclusive slots. And so that's by design, you know? Huh. Weird. How uh, that that makes out. sense. <laughs> I see how they. Okay. Well, with, with WizKids. Uh, so yeah. moving on a bit from the competitive, more aspect of everything, kind of talking about the fruits of your labor, the world championship figure you got to make. Uh, what made you choose Harley Quinn for your figure? So there was a, a couple things. One, I, I liked the character. I mean, I wasn't a big comic reader at the time, and I've, I've read some uh, quite a bit of Batman since the, you know, since then. But I was never a comic player. For me, I was a big fan of like turn-based strategy games and stuff. Um, those were always my favorite games growing up. You know, also played a lot of fighting games like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, and stuff like that. I mean, that's that's kind of what my background was. You know, it was just was games. So when I sat down, I could like, well, I can play a turn-based strategy game like Civilization or something like that with someone else across the table. That's what that was fun for me. Um, so I wasn't, you know, I didn't know much about comics, but as I started to play, I learned more about the lore. Harley Quinn, though, at the time, I mean, uh, because of the the TV show, you know, I didn't watch a lot of TV, but I knew I was aware of the character. But when I started playing the Arkham games, the Batman Arkham games, that's when she really started to stand out for me. And that's when I fell in love with the character, because she was really just crazy, literally. Yeah. Uh, but she was in love with, like, the Joker, who was crazier than she was, you know what I mean? And I always liked that appeal of the character, you know. Old Harley Quinn, not new Harley Quinn, kind of that, like, naive, adorable little just, you know, she liked the crazy guy and she would do anything for him. New Harley Quinn, they've kind of changed the uh, character, like, I think a little bit even over-sexualized from where it is, you know, back then. Um, but I like the old character that way. And someone, I read a post one time where someone was talking about whenever they taught people, the you know, new players hero clicks, almost every single one of them would grab the Harley Quinn figures. They were building a team, and she never did anything in any of the games. And uh, the year before, uh, or no, it was actually that same year, I think that uh, the Scarlet Witch, the 50-point uh, Scarlet Witch that uh, was on a lot of teams, you know, the Mystics one, that support piece was almost on every single team. And I remember thinking, um, wouldn't it be, it would be better to try to find a support figure that you could build? Because if you build like a, you know, if you build a, t um, a one-man army type thing, it's going to get a lot more limited play than... Uh, a support figure that can fit in a lot of teams. And so as I was trying to build it, that's really what I want to do because I mean, the goal is to design a figure that people play with. I mean, there's a few champ figures that have come out that I've never actually played, you know, because I was kind of, you know, as, as I slow, started to slow down, I never got a chance to play them. Um, but the support figures, though, they popped up all the time, and I thought that was the best. There was actually a tournament I went to one time when she first came out, and, like, I think of the 13 players, seven of them had Harley Quinns on it. I thought that was really cool. Um, nice. But that's kind of what I was trying to go for was who, who's a figure that I like. Um, it was Harley. Then also who could I fit into a, you know, make as a support character that it makes sense. You know, you can't have Wonder Woman running around as a support, obviously. Okay, so if the listener does not know which figure you are talking about, that is going to be number 46 from the Flash set. 
Uh, so go look at that. And if you do know what we're talking about, then you know you might have been around during this time right when it came out. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say that this figure may possibly have been the most controversial hero click to ever come out. And that was strictly due to the sculpt. And in this sculpt, it has you, right, sitting yeah. on a chair. And then there's Harley Quinn right next to you. So uh, when this figure came out, people were calling the figure Lap Dance Harley. Um, I believe you got some uh, quite a few messages regarding oh, this directly sent it was your way. Terrible. It was terrible. You know, the, the thing is, like, I was told by numerous people at WizKids, find a way to include yourself on the sculpt. Find your way to include yourself. Um, and when I was coming up with the sculpt idea, it's right about the same time that they uh, that they showed or they previewed Alex's uh, Stargirl. And, I mean, there was people calling him, like, pedophile and all kinds of other stuff. And, really, it was just a comic uh, panel. If you know the, the history, it was a comic panel that he found, and he just replaced himself with whoever the comic character was that she was coming down, you know? Um sure. But I remember, like, at the time, I was talking to this girl I was dating, and, and I was like, I almost changed the whole design because I just barely submitted, you know, the, the idea for the sculpt. Because basically what it was is, is in the Batman Arkham games, the very first time you see Harley Quinn, she's got the warden tied up, and you walk in, and you see her standing next to him. And I was supposed to be, the, like, the warden tied up, like, as a hostage type of thing, you know? And that's where that's where the thing came from. Well, I remember, like, right when Alex is figuring, he was getting so much flack, and uh, I was like, man, I should change this. Um because I'd sent it in earlier that day, right? And that's right when his got previewed. And I remember a girlfriend at the time, she's like, you know what? She's like, screw him. She's like, this is your chance. I mean, you'll, you'll, what if you never get a chance to do this again? Don't regret it. Just do it. Do what you want to do, you know, submit your figure. And that's what I did. I stuck with it. Now, the thing is, when I got the, what it looked back, it's not like you can say, oh, I don't like that. Change this. Oh, can you guys edit that? Uh, they just say, hey, this is what you, your inspiration turned into. And this is what, this is what it is, you know? Now the thing that's interesting is is DC WizKids everyone else has signed off on it way before way before the public ever saw it you know so it's not like right. you know, I was trying to pull a fast one on them. Totally true, and like you keep saying like Arkham games and stuff, and the the Harley on the sculpt is very clearly not the one from the Arkham games. So do you know why they maybe chose that Harley instead so of initially before I you you submit the the I submitted the sculpt idea before I ever got done to finishing the dial right. Because obviously it takes more time to sculpt it out, that kind of stuff, you know, to get the approval. Initially, I thought there's there's a, a Harley out there that's in a nurse outfit. I, can't, I don't know if it's Mad Love, whichever one it is, where she's like in a nurse. And I thought it would be kind of fun to do like a choose your power, poison or support type of thing. Like either heal for one or hurt for one type of thing. And like a Harley Quinn nurse outfit. I thought that would have been like a fun design. But as I submitted it and asked what I wanted to do. Like as I submitted that, that I was told I, I had that they were going to uh, put her in the new outfit because this was going to be the first Harley Quinn in the new 52. So I didn't really get a choice on that. That's just what right. said, which I understand. I mean, it's their property, not mine. You know, I'm glad they let me do it, though. So totally. if you could go back and change anything about the figure, uh, whether that's the sculptor, the dial or whatever, anything you could change, would you change anything? Well, I mean, the fact that the I mean, everybody knows the figure at this point, right? Um, I still get teased about it every now and then. I mean, I, I think the sculpts, it is what it is. Like you said, the most infamous hero clicks at one point, right? The figure that's ever been made. Um, but as far as that goes, though, the uh, I think that I would have made the poison unavoidable instead of penetrating. I think I would have changed that, you know, if adjacent to one other figure, uh, 
poison is unavoidable and also i think would have made her immune to poison because the thing that hurt the figure when it came out that's right when super scroll was everywhere and all it took was super scroll to poison her one time and that completely you know what i mean that uh put the damage token on her um and she couldn't poison back super scroll if they picked invincible i think that's the only thing that really would have changed though i mean for the most part i got everything i wanted the dial i pushed for the gotham city keyword because i made a good at a uh, good argument why she should have it but uh she didn't and that's okay though i mean those are but those are minor things she didn't end up with a lot of keywords and she could fit on a lot of teams and some of the teams like uh suicide squad and stuff filled out really nicely that she can fit on now where at the time they weren't quite there when you were talking to whiz kids about what you wanted this figure to become was this over phone or email or was this in person it was all over email and you know like people ask me about like the the point formula i don't have the point formula i'm sure they do have something to base it off of the only thing i can say that i was told by was told by them is they just says if you want to do a rainbow of powers just know that everything's going to have a cost meaning if you want to add perplex probability outwit uh you know everything all the support powers every single one of them you're going to have a pretty expensive costed figure so that's where the idea came up with the pudding idea, because I did want to do something where, like, she could have some type of infatuation with uh, with someone on the map. I did want to do that because I thought that kind of fit the character. But I thought in doing it in a way, you know, as I talked to WizKids about it, I just said, you know, like, if you, I'm sure everything has a cost, but what if we limit it this way by she can only affect this way? That can't, you know, uh, probability control, I don't know what the cost is on it, but probability control that only affects one character when they attack can't be worth nearly as much as probability control all the time. And that's how right. able to get the cost down sure. quite a bit. So kind of keeping up with the talk about the design, how far like advanced were you asked to design the figure? So Flash came out in November of 2014. I probably submitted the dial in January, I'm guessing. I'm guessing January. So that Oh, wow. So that took, obviously it takes them a long time to make a set. So I guess, yeah, a couple of months. took over 10 or yeah. so months is when you were asked to actually... And I submitted the the sculpt idea probably clear back in probably November, October, November for the sculpt idea. So, I mean, they're I, – I, I do know this for sure. They have sets that are completely designed uh, and finished, completed, meaning all the design is done, all the dials are done, all the playtesting, uh, however they playtest is done. The sculpts are so done. So no playtesting at all pretty much. Well, I, I, like I said, I didn't get to see the playtesting part about it. I did get asked what I thought the costs were roughly for the character. I guessed, um, I guessed about 55 um, is what I was guessing, and they bumped her up a little bit, which is fine. But I was also trying to undercut a little bit too, hoping I could get away with a little bit more. Um, but yeah, they, right. they asked me what I thought it would be. Um, but however they determine it, they're they're the ones that come up with the the cost. Um, but I do know that whatever set there, there's, you know, probably one or two sets right now that you guys don't even know that uh, are coming yet. They haven't announced yet that are completely finished. Okay. When you were approached by WizKids, were there any rules that they started out by just saying, okay, we want to hear about what you want to make, but first you should know A, B, and C? Was there anything like that? No, there wasn't anything really like that when I talked to them. Um, what they, you know, they've got a certain way of doing things. Um, they were really, really worried about the NDA, though, because we, they wouldn't even talk to me on anything until I signed it and got it back in. And then literally as soon as I got it back in, the first question was, okay, now who do you want to design? Even though I'd already told people who I want to design, as soon as I signed it, okay, who do you want to design? Now what I've heard, and this is just hearsay, but what I have heard is that there's been other players that have wanted to design figures that were told no. They couldn't design that, but because they'd already signed the NDA, they couldn't tell you who they were going to switch their character to. 
until so after. So were those uh, because those choices would have been outside of properties owned by WizKids or used by WizKids or because they were just just no? This is speculative, but I know DC and Marvel have to sign off on every single character that, that does come out through the sets. They have quality control. They have people um, that watch that stuff. So when I wanted to make a nurse Harley Quinn, that's the only thing I was told no is you can't put her in a nurse outfit, you know. Um, so I had to change my idea a little bit on how I wanted to do the figure. But I was, you know, it was, it was no else you want to do. But I've heard other people that have wanted to design like Dr. Dooms and stuff. They've told them no for whatever licensing rights. Um, they can't do that. You've got to change it. Um, I don't know how they select it, but I do know that, um, you know, some of the figures that have come out have not necessarily fit the set. They just put them into the next set. And I think that's kind of it was kind of interesting. I was lucky enough knowing that there was a flash set with a small suicide theme in already Suicide Squad theme in it before I'd ever got around to, uh, you know, talking about Harley. They'd already had the ideas of what they did want to do with that set. So as she fit, she wasn't like, I mean, because there was a small suicide theme, it wasn't like she was just completely out of the blue. Yeah, she wasn't like a sore thumb, kind of like Devil Dinosaur in a Spider-Man set for pretty much no reason. No offense. I mean, great figure, but some people just toss them in sets. Same thing with, like, Shriek. She felt pretty out of place in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Um did that uh, figure do very well? Did that figure get very much play? No, I never really saw her in any events, honestly, to just to be frank. I didn't no nothing competitive for Shriek. I think someone tried with an indigo battery once. I think that was about it. That's like the only time. You know, the the thing is is that with like with designing figures is we've had some good champ figures designed, but again the, the goal is to get people to play it, right? And that was part of my biggest goal is how can I create a competitive figure that's that people will feel like they got their value out of whenever they play because i've definitely played figures i'm like this thing sucks you know <laughs> that was a waste of uh, but also one that when people did play it it wasn't so complex that they couldn't figure it out you know when i started design i didn't know the green battery was going to be a thing in limit free actions and that uh that hurt a little bit too but there wasn't much i could do about that one because i like i said i didn't know what was coming out um i didn't know any of their stuff in the sets or anything i just you know, knew what I was working on with them on my figure. Right, totally. So was there anything that really stood out to you in the overall design process? I think, again, just how far out they did it, you know, because like I said, I was submitting the dial. I mean, I think we wrapped up the dial ended last week in January, first week in February, something like that is when they finally finalized the dial when, when everything was done. And yeah, it didn't come out till November. So what's that? Uh, it's 10 months almost, nine and a half months of them finishing the set. And they were already on working on the next set, you know, they were um, the next set. They were, you know, trying to get ready to go. I think that's when they did. Uh, was it that one? And then what was the flash? And what was the one that came out after that? The the cosmic set. Wasn't it a DC cosmic set? I think it was Trinity War after flash. Yeah. Right? But yeah. And they were already yeah. like working on that one and stuff. And that one was done again. All was done, you know, uh, before flash had ever come out you know it was just interesting like i said to see how much lead time they have on everything which i get ordering stuff from china trying to i mean i don't think they've had shipping issues in years like they used to when they were cutting close with street dates because of stuff not getting here in time no i think they're still having some of those problems (laughs) (laughs) yeah a little bit no it's not anywhere near what it used to be but a little bit oh it was Um, bad there for a while like hey we've got this set coming but it's blah 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 you'll see it in a month you know maybe (laughs) The, what was it, a shipping issue where it was, like, stuck out in the harbor outside of, like, San Francisco or something one year for a couple oh, months? Oh, right. 
Oh, yeah. Like, I think it was like the Superior Foes set or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like that. Yeah, when they had the Dark Strike or something like Strike. that. Yeah. Uh, so that happened. But um, All right, the last question that I do want to ask uh, while we're on the topic of like the NDA stuff and since you are free to talk about this now is – is there anything that you really felt like was insider knowledge that you like you this is why I definitely signed the NDA. Was there anything like that? I think that the the issue that WizKids has is because the and this is just speculation on my part, but because they're dealing with such I mean Marvel and DC are, are billion dollar franchises um you know even with the the crap DC movies though they still are churning out a ton of money a ton of a ton of merchandising and that. And if I was a, a, a guessing person or a betting person, I guess, um, I would say that the reason that they're so strict on their NDAs and stuff is because they don't want anything that would affect their licenses. Because I wouldn't be surprised if in the, the Marvel and DC licenses, there's probably clauses in there that if, you know, you leak stuff or whatever else. I mean, something that's really interesting to me about WizKids is I've I've had definitely had mo movie spoilers in some of the movie sets I've played because you'll read a power or you'll see a figure like, Oh, that guy's in the movie, you know, stuff like that that they've done. So they're privy to a lot of knowledge, and I think that they uh, don't want to screw that up in any way, you know. Um, and I think that's probably where they're so big strict. I mean, there wasn't really that much in the thing, you know, there wasn't that much. I mean, I knew the only really inside knowledge that I had about the rest of it is I knew what set she was going to come out in is I knew it was a Flash-themed set. And I was told that it was going to be a unique figure. You know, I was told it was going to be a unique figure, and I was told that they were going to try to shoot for a rare slot with her. And that's about the only, like, really knowledge I had about the whole rest of the set, you know. But I think that the reason they're so big on the NDAs and protecting everything is they just want to keep their, uh, you know, the relationships good with Marvel and DC. Because I mean, if they lose the Marvel or DC license, Marvel specifically, I think WizKids would be in a lot of trouble. I would absolutely agree with that. So I guess going to what made you take the, maybe not quit, but a, a big break from HeroClix? So it's like we were talking about earlier where it was like you started to get pressure of coming up with teams and that. It was um, – we we tried to figure out a way to break the game, me and Adam, because when they started offering the giant cash prizes for the ROC tournaments, right, we'd actually had a couple of ideas with teams we'd come up. One of them was Resurrection Man where basically we, we, we came – we started to have this idea that if the worst matchup you had in a game was a 50-50 roll-off and that's your worst matchup in the game, then you're not in a bad spot. Because if everything else, you're, you know what I mean, you're 70%, 60%, 80% chance of winning when you sit down. Because there's certain teams that you sit down and play against, you have no shot at all at beating. That's just the way it goes sometimes in big tournaments, you know. But if we started to get the idea that if you come up with the, uh, you know, your worst chance is a 50-50 roll-off, that wasn't bad. So we started testing around ideas of how to get, um, there was a Loki actually that they had made. And it said you may, not that you have to, kick uh, countdown its uh countdown it's a uh, it's two clicks or whatever you know at the first of the game or something until we could actually right. come onto the map we actually had an idea of pairing that with resurrection man where we just keep loki and we never turn him on we never actually put him on the map he's on the map the way it's worded but we don't actually make it so you can attack him he's completely immune to everything and then we just go after you with resurrection man and hopefully he gets a kill you know and we started to come up with like really uh, ideas like that and it's not so much that they were fun to play but we were back and we just want to win type of thing and then the real one that we came up with, and we weren't going to try to do it at Worlds, but we'd actually got the ROC judge at the time. You know, there was a, an old ruling said that the entities were characters. We'd actually had an idea with, um, I think it was with Black Talent or something like that. We'd actually figured out a way, and we got the Rock judge to approve that we could pull the entities 
from the sideline onto the map. I can't remember which figure it was that we could do with it. It was Blacktail and Mind Control and something else. And there was a way to like bring it all. So now you've got a 225 point or 200, whatever, 250 point parallax that you just added to your team that's at full dial, you know, um, by doing a couple of crazy things. And I can't remember the exact way that we'd worded it. And we, I don't think there's any way in hell WizKids was going to sign off on it. But we did have the guys from the ROC said, well, if WizKids is going to rule those are a character and we're doing this, this, and this, then we can prove that, yes, that's definitely a, uh, that's definitely a legal way to bring them onto the map. Because, I mean, you're talking for $4,000 cash. Yeah, that's a lot of money you want to try to win, you know? Um, right. But we got to the point that we were just coming up with crazy things. And if you remember, there was right before the One Worlds where someone had tipped off WizKids. That's what we were looking at running. And that's when they put out that, like, weird, like, uh, errata, like a week before where the Loki did have to click down that entities can never be brought onto the map. You know, they had all these, like, which they pretty much put out just because of what we were trying to run, which is fine. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but that's back to that thing, though, where they were, you know, at least they were proactive. That's also back to when they were going to, you know, when the uh, sniper rifle came out, and because it was replacement value, like, well, I'm going to go ahead and modify and then replace it with the full, you know, with the full 10 range sniper rifle with uh, hypersonic speed type stuff. Um, I'm glad that they they proactively did it. But, you know, I think that was the point where I was like, you know, I'm not as having nearly as much fun as I was having, you know, and I think I played... Um, I think I played that the Justice League team base with the uh, the strategy game figures because they were really solid when they came onto the map at Worlds that year. And I think I took like ninth or something like that um, that year at Worlds. I didn't do bad. I didn't do as good as I wanted because I screwed up and won misplacement um, so I could get shot when I shouldn't have. But, I mean, that's when it started to turn for me. It wasn't – I wasn't having as much fun as I was before. you know. And then I went out to the ROC that year. I took, I took a third in the ROC two years in a row. But I mean, at that point, I mean, I, I was, uh, that's when entities were everywhere. I flew down to WonderCon, played one of Pat's tournaments, he announced a thousand dollar prize, and then WonderCon sold out right after I bought my ticket. I think we had like five or seven players in the whole tournament, but I was able to get like the big cash prize, plus I won the, the White Lantern set, which sold for a lot. I mean, at that point, it was more like a job. In fact, in 2014, I actually made about $3,800 playing Heroclix, like after all costs, and that included all my flights, my hotels, my tournament buy-ins my everything else i was up about thirty eight hundred dollars when all was said and done because i was winning so many times you know doing so well with it winning a bunch of roc points i was selling you know stuff like that so when worlds came around the next year i tried to do more of a fun team i went back to the um black talent double mind control but i was trying to do it with the uh gotham 66 where i had a uh, um a death trap team so that death trap's fun no one's ever played it competitively but at that point i started to like try to have a little bit more fun with the the teams and then that's when uh, Faust was out. That was the first time I saw Faust. I sat across from, um, uh, what's his name? I can see his face. One of the Ohio guys. It was one of the Team World Champions. Tim. Tim. And he uh, he beat me before I'd even moved out of my starting zone. He wiped my whole team out by, like, turn three except for two characters. And then the game was over, literally, because I couldn't move out of my starting zone. And that's the point where I realized, like, this arms race of us trying to get bigger and bigger and better teams and stuff, it just... That was probably like the most unfun worlds I've ever had. You know, that's when like the literally like I just, you know, I, I came back the next day for qualifying and I built a uh, a really nasty Faust team that was you know like plus five nap roll, stupidly strong Faust team, just a bunch of prob. You get the rolls that you wanted. And I I missed uh, the world's finals um, in a roll off actually uh, because the guy wouldn't move out of the starting zone the whole time, just kept throwing up barriers and I have a way to get through it. <clears throat> the way he was playing the the game though. You know, I, I think he rolled a seven and I rolled a six or something like that. 
and it, that it wasn't fun at that point anymore you know it was we were trying to find just we weren't playing for fun anymore we were playing to win because i mean winning's fun the first time i went with the cop cars it was fun when i came back again and played worlds the next year it was fun you know but there were so many people there for a while that were trying to find like the next crazy teams i mean that that team pat one where he could use a uh, iron pharaoh never left his starting zone remember um yeah right the, the green lantern you see stuff like that it's like that wasn't fun to play against and that was a stupidly good team that was really hard to beat you know um and we were just watching like this arms race was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse i mean it, it calmed down a little bit but now you're back to the dollar amount and i remember it was like after that worlds with faust uh, and i remember talking to one of the, the judges at whiz kids and this is where i got really disheartened with the game too so i put a lot of time and i was writing articles for hc realms i mean i'd gotten sponsored by them to write articles but I was just putting a lot of time into it, like tournament recaps, trying to put a lot back into the community. And um, as I, uh, I was talking to one of the, the, the judges, one of the, and I'm sure the guy's one of the play testers, but he kind of let it slip. I'm not going to say who it was, but he said, we didn't realize that Faust dice could be re-rolled, is what he said. So they realized there was a huge issue, like a huge glaring issue, but they weren't going to fix it at the tournament. And everybody was running Faust, you know. They didn't want to fix it at the tournament, though, they, because they were still selling him. I'm not saying that's the reason that they didn't fix it at the tournament, um, you know, but Faust did sell out at Origins that year, and you just kind of, like, lost, like, like hope with that, you know. It's like, well, you know, I, I spent, you know, $500 on a plane ticket. I paid for a hotel. I paid for this. I paid for that, and I can't say I enjoyed myself. I can't say I felt like I got my money's worth. You know, someone that's been in entertainment for years, when you go to a convention or something, you want to feel like you got your money's worth. You got value out of it. That's what keeps you coming back, and I didn't feel that after that year. You know, I, I really didn't feel that. Okay, so after all of that, and that's a lot of um, bad stuff, and I think a lot of us out there have maybe been in that situation and lost and spent a lot more money than what we had anticipated. But w do you think that you actually miss the game? Do you think that you'll ever come back despite all of that? Um, you know, I've taken breaks before in the past. Um, you know, I've taken – you know, I went uh, – when the game went away and then came back, you know, with Hammer Thor, I didn't start for a couple sets again. Uh, when Sinister came out, you know, years ago, I, I hated that set. I thought it was the worst set ever. I didn't have a year off then. I might. It's just the difference is now the, the fun. The thing that was fun before was nobody knew who I was, right? I could just show up and play. There was no expectations, you know. Um, not saying like I'm like this celebrity. I walk in and recognize me. But I do know some people, but it's like you can't get away with that anonymity anymore. There's always certain expectations, right? Um, because people just assume. Um, you know, last time I played in Worlds was 2016, and I played against Easton. And Easton's a top-tier player, and, and he kicked the crap out of me. I played against him twice. When I was when I was playing, you know, four or five days a week, I would have been fine. But I was so out of practice that I got, you know, there, there's definitely a, um, a tier list, you know. There's people that are just good. You know, I used to see people read on the realms all the time where people would be like, oh, I could go out to Worlds. If I could just afford it, I'd be the world champion. I'm not trying to sound yeah. like an ass, but that's probably not going to happen. I mean, there was me, there was Pat, uh, George Masu. Um, there was like six or seven of us, and you were seeing like us in the top of the tournaments, almost every single major tournament you'd see, you know, like four or five of us in the top ten, almost every single tournament, you know. And when you see that, you know, a couple years in a row, you start realizing maybe there is more to this, you know. Maybe there is more why these guys win all the time. And I don't know if I'd ever want to put the time back getting into that again. You know, it's back to that thing where it's one thing to win, it's nothing to try to stay up there. But it, it was a lot of time and a lot of dedication to get there, and I'm glad I did it. Maybe come out and play in Worlds this year because I've got to go out. Um, or I was going to try to come out and play in Worlds this year because uh, one of the tournaments, just because I was going to try to be out at a, um, 
packs unplugged, but it wasn't like it's going to work out this year. I mean, I might pop in and play every now and then, but I don't think I, um, I don't know. I don't think I could ever get back to that level again. I just, uh, there's other things I want to do in life besides I have to work again now for, I don't have money in the bank stored away where I can just play clicks. <laughs> life, right? Okay, right. <laughs> uh, before we move on to not so much your clicks related stuff, do we want to ask the age old question? Is it possible to acquire a mate? I'll guess that, that'd be the nicest way to say this while playing hero clicks, or do you want to <laughs> skip that? No, no, I, this is definitely, this is, it needs to be asked. Right. Has, so, has the game of hero clicks ever gotten you lucky? Uh, definitely. <laughs> but let me but let me explain. It's not like there's like groupies and stuff. It's not like anything like that at all. Um, so my my I throw concerts for a living, EDM concerts, and I actually have a whole go-go team that works for me, which is funny because I was like this giant closet nerd. Like I said, I could be have go-go dancers and out partying all night Friday, pulling all nighter, then show up at the comic shop on Saturday and play hero clicks. But I had a go-go team that used to work for me. You know, um, like you know. Um, a bunch of like 18 to 24 year old girls and stuff, you know, most of them pretty attractive. And they'd come over to my apartment and stuff and they would see like little hero clicks figures all over the place. And they thought it was hilarious because here you've got this grown person that has these hero clicks, you know, and they would tease me about it. Like it was their like way of like, ha ha ha, you're such a nerd. But you could obviously tell it was just because I guess saw a different side of you type of thing. I actually had one girl that used to go with me to tournaments all the time. She never played. She used to like go watch and she was one of the prettier girls I've ever seen. It wasn't the game. It was just because she went with me. But the fact that they would always tease me about it, give me a hard time about it, it was always like an in or it was always something for them to talk about, something for them to ask about. So I would definitely say it did help my uh, game there for a few years. Well, there you go, listener. You heard it here. It's possible. <laughs> it was. It All right. Last, last question we want to ask about Hero Clicks before we move on that I have is uh, where do you see the game of Hero Clicks going in five years or so? You know, I was, I've got a friend, because um, the, the nice part about it is um, I've got, I've met people all over the, the world playing. I've got, you know, people I still talk to in Europe. I've got a, a guy I talk to every now and then in South America. I've got a guy I talk to in Australia. You know, I talk to, um, you know, quite a bit of people in Mexico still. That's probably the best part, like one of my favorite parts, like Legacy of the Game, is I was able to meet people from all over. But I was down in a, you know, I went down to E3 this year, and I met up with a friend, and we were talking about it, and he was talking about the game. He says, you know, right now sales are strong. They've completely changed it. And he says, you know, do I – and this is his wording, but it kind of makes sense. He says, do I think Heroclix will have a 20th anniversary? Definitely. Do I think it'll have a 25th anniversary? I, I'm not a, I'm not nearly as certain, you know. Okay. And I think that goes back to, like, the, the cost and stuff. I mean, there's always going to be someone that wants to play their favorite Wonder Woman, wants to play their favorite Spider-Man, sure. But, I mean – there's probably what 80 Batman's out there at this point, a hundred Batman's out there at this point over the years. You've, you've definitely got, it. I mean, and as whiz kids as they've, you know, when they used to do the REV, they'd have less overall characters they would make than they make now. There's just a lot of characters they burn through. I think if they can pick up some other licenses, um, I mean, who knows? They could do like a heroes of the storm blizzard type set, a little bit of everything, you know, or stuff like that. If they could pick up their licenses, I think that would help. It would help keep it fresh. But I mean, you know, someone like me that, that collected Heroclix for 10 years, I can't tell you how many characters I have of certain ones, you know. And, and if you want to play Wolverine, you play your favorite Wolverine. You don't play the Wolverine from three sets ago that, you know, that's terrible and overcosted. And I don't know how they fix that. You know, I don't know if there is a way for them to fix that. Sure. Well, that's all I have as far as Heroclix-related questions. Calder, do you have anything else before we move on? I would say that's all for Heroclix. Okay, so... 
You have gone on and you've done something, quite honestly, pretty amazing since you left the game of Heroclix. And I did want to get into that just so um, people out there that are listening to us know that this exists, can attend this if at all possible. Uh, but let's talk about what you've created, the Salt Lake Gaming Con. Yeah. So I, um, it's it's kind of funny. Heroclix actually got me started with it. So it was... Uh, 2014, ROC was just getting going, you know, like they'd had the first one, the first event, and then they were starting to go from there. And I, I hosted an ROC in Salt Lake City, and the store was one of the stores I played. It was a nice store inside, but the owner was part of me saying he was a douche. But it was the nicest store in town. I thought we'd have people coming from out of town. And so we booked it, and we booked it right around right uh, the weekend after the Deadpool set came out. We did that because you could do a sell on Deadpool, sell on a product. The guy told me, he's like, if you do uh, 40 players, I'll give you a, a case of Deadpool. If you do under 40, I'll give you a, a brick. So we had 39 players show up, um, and then one of them showed up later, still bought in, and the guy's like, well, he wasn't here on time. This guy didn't didn't want to give me my case. And then he also went back and said, uh, well, I don't know if I should give you your brick either. You know, he was just an ass And I put a lot of time in to get this tournament together. We made, like, uh, you know, um, prizes for showing up, you know, like some little uh, battlefield cards. Or not battlefield cards, um, ATA, stuff like that for people. I thought we, you know, I put a lot of time into it, and for him not wanting to give me my brick, I mean, I don't know what a brick costs a store. I can't imagine more than like 70 bucks. But he also did a sell on Deadpool and sold like $3,000 in product. It was his biggest sales day at his store by double any other day he'd ever had. And the fact the guy didn't want to give that to me pissed me off. He eventually relented, gave it to me. When I told him I was walking out, he goes, well, who's going to run the tournament? I'm like, figure it out, you know? So the next year when I started looking at it again for 2015, you know, it was it was like January-ish or so time. And at this point, I'd been to Dragon Con, Wonder Con, Origins, Gen Con, all these different places playing clicks and just watching. And I remember thinking, <coughs> I remember I was trying to figure it was like January. So I'm like, huh, I should do that. Uh, I should put together another ROC tournament again this year. And then it kind of went from like, well, wait a second. What if I had like other games to it, like, uh, you know, like uh, Magic stuff like that, kind of go a little bit bigger with it than just the one. And then I was up all night, and I was getting my ass kicked at Hearthstone, because uh, I played that every now and then. I'd lost like seven in a row. I was pissed off. I'm like, this is the worst game ever. I'm never playing again. And I went up to get a drink at the fridge. It was like 4.30 in the morning, and all of a sudden I opened the fridge, and I had this idea. I'm like, wait, what if I had video games to the tournament? And, uh, like, the light bulb went off. And I went and woke my roommate up at the time. I'm like, hey, I'm doing a gaming convention in Salt Lake. She's like, you're crazy. It's 4.30 in the morning. Go back to bed, you know? <laughs> and... Uh, but literally, like, it's, you know, I always believe, like, things just work out. And uh, it was, like, two days later, like I said, the guy, um, like, that guy called and was like, hey, we got money you want to put into an event. Uh, you know, we're, we, basically, these guys were like, hey, we're investors. We know you used to do concerts. You know, you're tired. You want to come back to events where we're looking for projects to fund. Like, I don't have any concerts I want to do right now, but I've got this idea for a gaming con. So I got them over all the numbers and spreadsheets I put over the next two days. And they came back, like, two or three days later said, we'll fund it for you. We'll give you the initial $25,000. Uh, but you got to have skin in the game. And so I called the, uh, the Expo Center, um, and they wanted $6,000 down on the deposit. And at the time, because I said I'd been living off my savings for a year and a half, I had $6,000 in the bank. Uh, the convention center wanted $6,000, and I had a car. So I sold my car the next day, probably for less than what it was worth. Uh, so I put the $6,000 down on the convention center, and two weeks later founded the company, went from there. So going from there, though, can you tell us about, like, what level of growth you've been able to see while doing this? So year one absolutely was great. We did 15,000 people over three days. You know, we were, we were like, three times what PAX did the first year. The one thing about Salt Lake a lot of people don't know is we have, like, the fourth biggest comic convention in the U.S., Salt Lake Comic Con. Well, they've changed their name now. 
Um, but it was absolutely massive. So that helped out a little bit too with the geek culture. We were rated like the geekiest state in the nation. Year two, I got a little bit uh, cocky. I guess cocky is not cocky. I just thought I had all the stuff figured out. Didn't do nearly as well because I didn't put as much effort into it. And then about two weeks before the event, Salt Lake Comic Con actually came in and bought a 50% stake for quite a bit of money in the company. And we became partners for two years. Year three went around. We went uh, first year was 15. Second year was 15. Third year was 20. Um, and then in February of this last year, Salt Lake Comic Con just wants to focus on the celebrity aspect. And I want to focus just on the gaming part of it. So I was able to get their shares back from them in February. Uh, we just had our event this year, uh, July 6th and 7th, only a two-day event. We uh, did 25,182. It's the sixth biggest gaming convention in the U.S. right now. That's absolutely beautiful. That is, that is awesome. So you kind of talked about the celebrity aspect and the gaming aspect. Obviously, you're, you're trying to pull in as many you know, board gamers and video gamers, so just gamers of all kinds, to the convention. And then there's that, I wouldn't say like normie, because if, if you're a nerd, you're a nerd. You're in this for life, buddy. So you're trying to pull in different people. So as far as growth goes for your convention, you want to like keep a balance of some celebrities and voice actors as long as awesome video game tournaments or cosplay or yeah. whatever. We did like 17 tournaments. We were on the front page of Twitch for two days. We had 17 video game tournaments, um, you know, Street Fighter, League of Legends. We also had a, a collegiate tournament that we'd worked out with. Um, we did a lot with it. The, you know, we, we, it's, the convention's growing every year. Um, this next year we actually have and, – and the way that I think this is going to go is I'm kind of a unique hybrid. I'm a little bit of PAX. I'm a little bit of, uh, a little bit of Gen Con or Origins, and I'm a little bit of like a Comic-Con with a celebrity aspect because we did have like Chris Judge, which is the God of War actor. We had um, Widowmaker from Overwatch came in. We had the Legend of Zelda cast reunited from Breath of the Wild. So we did, you know, a couple of professional cosplayers. So we do a little bit of the celebrity aspect. But we're talking to a AAA developer right now because esports is the big buzzword, right? Everybody keeps saying esports, esports, right. esports. First, the University of Utah, um, which we work with quite a bit, was actually the first Power of Five school to offer scholarships for video games. So that was good. We've got a good uh, a good thing here because they were help, helped create a base for it. Also, the Utah Jazz right now just set, uh, set up Jazz Gaming, and they're making huge pushes too in esports. So they've helped it out with it. Um, but because my numbers are so good, we were approached this uh, about next year potentially, and I'm still trying to put the deal together, about a potential half-million-dollar esports tournament that they want to run. Now, if they put together the half-billion-dollar esports tournament, we'll probably – I mean, we could double our growth, right, because that's a lot of money for people to put out there. That's a lot of people coming in, which then goes back to you talk about the balance of the board game stuff. Um, part of what makes a board game is your chance to demo, the chance to get it in front of people, Right. Uh, yep. when, when Fantasy Flight was out at Gaming Con two years ago, they said in their two days at Gaming Con, they had more demos for Star Wars Destiny than they did at Origins that year. Because there was because at Origins, everybody knows what the game is. It's something like Gaming Con where we don't have like the 40 years of culture, you know, uh, we're still right to this. There was able to get a lot of people who have never seen the game before. So I think that's what's going to happen with this is while we see the video game side of things grow and take off, I think the board game companies, because there's, I mean, I saw this year, it's funny, Origins, I know, definitely watches what we do uh, because they added a couple of local cosplay groups. I saw that. They added a video game room that was kind of half-assed, but they did add it. It, it kind of was. <laughs> but, but they didn't do that stuff until they saw our numbers catch up. We should either be at or pass Origins next year, in the next year or two, which is huge out here. We're the biggest tournament. I mean, outside of PAX, but PAX is kind of its own thing. It was something that does, like, such a big focus. Because right now, the way the floor is split, it's about 60-40 uh, video games, 60% video games, 40% board games. As far as attendance goes, we're the biggest board game convention this side of the U.S. that has such a big push. And we have, like, a 1,000 board, board game library. 
Uh, we do tournaments for all kinds of different uh, card games. Uh, everything except for Hero Clicks and Dice Masters actually we ran this year, which is unfortunate. But as you see that though, and you see the video game side take off, it's going to give a lot of these board game companies uh, chances to get their products and demo in front of people um, that they've never got a chance to get in front of before. There's a company out there that we, we've been talking to a little bit, and we'll see if we can finally get them up this year. I think it's Jasco Games. They make a card game uh, that's like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, you know, Mega Man type of card game, fighting game. You know, and you show somebody that's a diehard, lifelong Street Fighter fan that there's actually a card game out there with, with new art on it. Uh, people buy that kind of stuff, you know? And that's stuff that, that I'm sure that most Street Fighter fans have no idea that card game even exists, you know? So since you did come from a Heroclix background, and the numbers may say one thing, but if you had the option, if you had the ability to push Heroclix very hard at the Salt Lake Gaming Con, would you really try to push it that hard, or is it just you're going to let it do its own thing? Well, it's two parts of that, right? I mean, it was my game. I love the game. But, you know, two years ago, WizKids came in, and they announced really, really late on the support, but they did end up coming in. They had some con exclusives. Um, I think they had like 13 people show up for the Heroclix tournament. And that was with WizKids support, right? Granted, they only gave people about a month's notice, sure. But most of the guys that came up drove up from Vegas, right? It's just they, they didn't really get out there. At the same time, though, we had just a local tournament for X-Wing that was played. And we had like 127 people sign up just for the local X-Wing tournament. Someone actually flew in out of Alaska that won it. Um, <laughs> But I mean, it was just, I mean, it was like, I think of the 127, 124 of them were locally. So I want to push Hero Clicks. I really do. And Dice Masters, but it's kind of one of those things where it's hard to push a parked car. You know, I mean, if WizKids wants to come out, in a perfect world, what I would like to see is, is it's really hard. I mean, you guys are East Coast, right? Uh, uh, about in the, in the middle of the country. I'm in Indianapolis, and Calder is in South Dakota. One of the Dakotas. Oh, thanks. South, South Dakota. Dakota. I always forget I which one it is. I don't know if Indianapolis is like, that's still Eastern time zone. You know, I think like Kansas is middle of the country. But um, I would like to see, because we haven't really got a lot of support for them in years. I mean, years ago, I used to drive out to Wizard World LA and stuff at like 2006 and try my luck out there. But we don't really have anything on the West Coast. The nice thing about Salt Lake is we're within like a 10-hour drive, 11-hour drive of the whole West Coast, meaning everywhere from Seattle to Phoenix to San Diego to Denver to Boise, LA, San Francisco. I'd love to see if we could ever get WizKids to do like a uh, you know West Coast type champion. Let them do let them do nationals at uh you know at, at Origins in Ohio, and then see if we could talk them into because it is such a big country. Let them do like a Western uh, Western national champion type of thing too. I think that they could do really well with that. But again, you'd have to get WizKids to jump in and want to get really behind it, something like that, uh, to help push it. But again, though, I mean, you, you go back and look when. Uh, in worlds, like I think two years ago, three years ago, I think they had 140 players, 150 players in the, in the one world's heat, which, yeah, that's a decent amount of players, but we were able to pull 127 players just for X-Wing without it being a, a national ch or world championship, you know? So that's that's kind of hard. I'd love to see it do more. I'd love to do more with it, but it's hard to uh, kind of push apart cars sometimes. If you don't get the certain kind of support behind it, I don't know if we'd ever be able to get it up to that point. It's it's hard, I get, because WizKids is in New Jersey. It's easier for them to drive. Um, you know, they come out for GAM every year, which is in, I guess it's in Reno now. But besides that, though, they don't really go anywhere else. Um, you know, they don't really, I mean, they, they send support and stuff for some of the European tournaments. But who knows, maybe we can talk them into doing a, some type of Western champion out here and get people in from all over. I'd love to see it happen. As a convention, I'd bend over backwards to announce it and help them push it, but... Again, I'd need certain help from WizKids, I think, to ever get up to that point. I don't think an ROC, because I, I looked at some of the state, um, some of the state, you know, when we did the first ROC in Salt Lake, we had 
30-ish, 33 players, and then it's kind of gone down every year. I think they had seven this year show up. So I don't know if the ROC has the same pull that the WizKids opens in that do. Well, state ROCs, because they're more uh, definitely more locally funded and they don't get a huge prize support from like the actual rock. They just get like a couple of maps and some objects and stuff. So the state ROCs always kind of pull in less people compared to like a super qualifier or really anything like that. So state ROCs are kind of like a bad judge. I know South Dakota, we had like 10 people last year and this year we doubled, which isn't a lot, but still double is double just because somebody else is running it. So our ROCs are really iffy. But a lot of ROC events do do really well, like just at Gen Con, they did pretty well. So maybe is kind of what I'm saying if an ROC at a convention seems to do better, I guess. You know, Utah is a, a weird market because with some of the people in Utah, it's like they um, they don't want to be competitive, but they still want to get the prizing. And, you know, <laughs> it's but you hear that all over the place. You know, how could it be owed to me type of thing? Um and WizKids is all, I mean, even the side events, you still have to finish in the top half. At least you used to have to to get the con LE. Um, I don't know if there's a way to fix that, even outside of Battle Royals and that. Um, Utah's always had a hard time with the, the competitive side of things um, because everybody complains that they want more competitive tournaments. There's a guy right now trying to do them up in, you know, like a, like five minutes north of Salt Lake City. And uh, I mean, they're pulling some of their competitive. I think their ROC did like 15, maybe 14, something yeah. like that. So it's, I don't know if, uh, like I said, with outside of support, we'd get much of that. But at Gen Con, if Gen Con could pull it off, but I guess the question is how many of those people were going just for the ROC versus they were going to Gen Con and just happened to play also? That is true. Well, we have it, and this is what I was going to say a second ago, but we have it on uh, pseudo-good authority that what we talk about here on Dial H, it actually does make it to the ears of WizKids. So hopefully um, they're hearing what you're talking about right now and that WizKids will try and work with you in the future to get, well, your dreams accomplished over there in Salt Lake. You know, I, I, I like those guys. I like Justin. Um, you know, Kyle's one of my favorite people over there. Jimmy's amazing. Um, Scott, you know, they've, they've got good people over there. They really do. I think the hard part, though, too, is that they, uh, you know, I mean, the, the game really did take off there for a little bit for them and trying to catch up. But I think they've done okay, too, for the most part. It's... It's like Kyle told me, if we could be everywhere, we could, but we're just, you know, we're still a small little office, and when we're not in the office, we're not getting work done, and we have to go to events. So if they could figure out a way maybe more to uh, to do something, I don't know. It would be great to see it. I mean, I would, as a convention, hitting the numbers we have, I mean, we're to the point where we're not really chasing a lot of people. More people are chasing us. Um, almost every other day, we're getting other companies inquiring about coming out and stuff for next year. Um, and I think we're going to be the last weekend, last three days, uh, or last Thursday, Friday, Saturday in June of 2019. If you guys ever want to come out too, I'll guest list you. I know people and get you in for free. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is a, an extremely positive note to uh, leave off on tonight. So if people are going to go search for you on any kind, are you on social medias? For anything yeah, you personally uh, or regarding the Salt Lake the Gaming Con itself? Yeah, it's uh, facebook.com from SL Gaming Con, uh, SL Gaming Con on Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, we're kind of in hibernation mode. We start going back to work next week, planning our next year's. You know, the one thing I didn't realize about conventions is when I do a concert, I can put it together in two months, if that, you know. Um, I didn't realize that the conventions were, you know, you work on them 10 and a half, 11 months out of the year. These things are, there's a lot more work that goes into them. And I'm grateful that I get to do both because I'm doing concerts again, too. But there's a lot of work that goes into these things. I don't think people realize, you know, when you see something as professional as Gen Con or Origins, 
it's a lot of years and experience that got him to that point, you know? Sure, sure. All right. Calder, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I think that wraps it up. I want to just thank you so much for coming on and talking about everything with us. Really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me on, too. It was great that you guys reached out. And if you guys have anything else from us, let us know. Absolutely. Thank you again so much. And, listener, hope you absolutely enjoyed all of the wonderful knowledge that uh, Mr. Jake Williams, also known as Jeetery, has given you tonight. Thank you. Dialage for Hero Clicks is brought to you by CoolStuffInc.com, where you can find cool stuff in stock every day, including all of the latest Hero Clicks singles and sealed products. So check them out at CoolStuffInc.com.